You know, we live in a pretty fast-paced world. We live on our phones. We're constantly communicating. But the danger in our culture is that church becomes a spectator sport. And Jesus never intended it, for be, it to be a spectator sport. He intended us for the, to be the body of Christ together. So if I could just pray for us as we're moving into a season of connection. I know uh, summer's a busy time. We're going different directions. But we hope to begin connecting in the fall. And Jesus, here this morning, just thank you for the wonderful family you have an amazing family. Lord, there's, there's fathers in the faith. There's mothers in the faith. There's, Lord, teenagers full of zeal and passion. Lord, there are young children who are hungry to learn and grow and to be loved. Lord, we're the body of Christ. We're your hands extended. We're your feet uh, moving throughout this community, wherever we go, or moving within this facility, sanctuary. Lord, we're your eyes. We see the needs of people around us. Lord, we're your ears. We hear the longing, uh, the searching, Lord, that people are, are going through in their life for something solid. Jesus, use us. That's my prayer, Lord. Knit us together in the fabric of your love. Knit us together as your family. We thank you for that. Pray blessing on each one here this morning. In Jesus' name, could someone say amen with me? Amen. I hope you brought a Bible this morning. We're in Ephesians chapter 5, or if you've got a phone app. Um, I think I'm reading from, well, the Bible, but <laughs> I don't remember what translation I'm using this morning. Sorry about that. It might be the NIV. I'm not really sure. Um, last week, we began talking a little bit about marriage. We began in... Um, verse 15 of Ephesians chapter 5 in our series through the book of Ephesians this summer. Uh, we landed in that uh, section of scripture that uh, lots of sermons have been preached out of. I, I want to talk a little bit more practical this morning about loving one another's husband and wife. So I'm going to focus in on just uh, a couple of verses, verse 31 through verse 33. So let me read it. It says, uh, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother, be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I'm, I'm talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. I think a lot of us are familiar with those verses, but I'd like to read verse 31 again, if I could, because I think we, we, we kind of read over it. it's Old Testament, and we've heard it a lot at, at marriage ceremonies, or weddings, but could you think about it with me a little bit here? Verse 31 says, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife. I believe the King James says cleave uh, to his wife. You know, the word literally means sewn together sewn together. A man will leave his father and mother, be united to his wife. Think about that. Sewn together. United to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. You ever thought about that? One flesh. One flesh. One layer of skin. Uh, over this body, feeling each other's heartbeat. 
understanding each other's dream, understanding and caring about one another's interests, like your own, sharing joys and experiencing sorrows in the midst of all the pressures we've talked about today already. You know, the schedules we try to keep in the midst of trying to raise our adorable kids who <laughs> pull us different directions all the time, uh, creating more conflict and more miscommunication as a husband and wife. How do we do it? I mean, it, it feels impossible uh, some days. <laughs> Philippians 4 verse 13 says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I'm uh, hoping you'll read it out loud with me. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens, who gives me strength. Uh, Romans chapter 8 verse 37 says, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. You know, I, I really believe for me, one of the essentials for becoming one flesh uh, as husband and wife is learning to seek the Lord together, uh, learning to pray together, uh, learning to worship together like we are here this morning, but maybe even at home or learning to read God's word together. Maybe not the same section of scripture, but just time in the word. I don't know about you, uh, husband and wife, if, you, if, if you're someone who, who is uh, seeking the Lord and your spouse is seeking the Lord, don't you love those times where you just have that momentary, instantaneous, you know, it wasn't planned, fellowship where, you know, my wife is reading this section, I'm reading this section, we have busy schedules. But it's just like somehow God orchestrates a time where you open up and you start talking about what God is teaching you. And then she opens up and starts talking about what God's teaching her. And there's this catalyst of the Holy Spirit because Christ is in you and Christ is in her. And all of a sudden, Jesus in you and Jesus in her, they just come together and there's this moment of energetic, exciting anointing from the Holy Spirit. The Bible calls that fellowship. That genuinely sharing and caring Jesus Christ. I really think we need that. I, I really think in order to become one flesh, it's really not about the flesh. The Apostle Paul called it a mystery. Just like the unity between Christ and his church. And I know somewhere along the way, the idea of becoming one flesh uh, illustrated the wedding night. And I, I think that... Certainly a, a bad application of what that scripture was all about, like a lot of bad applications of scripture uh, th throughout the years, but that's another sermon. Anyway, what would it take for you and your wife to become one flesh? What's keeping you and your wife from becoming one flesh? You ever thought about that? You ever prayed about that? You ever had an intimate conversation with your spouse, maybe starting out by, what do you need from me? I, you know, I know I don't be, know beans from buckshot, but what do you need from me? What would allow us to become more one, more unified, one flesh uh, in our relationship with one another? See, I know seeking the Lord together is really intimidating. Um, some of us here this morning, you've never prayed out loud together. I mean, to be in a group of people and feel like it's your turn, that just 
makes you sweat bullets. That's one of the reasons you'll never join a life group. It's like, I don't want to be asked to pray. And, and I understand that. I, I remember learning how to pray. Learning how to pray out loud is kind of like learning a foreign language. You hear yourself talking, but who are you talking to? And, and I know that that can feel really uncomfortable until you start doing it. And then when you start doing it, you realize, you know, it's really not that bad. I mean, it's just talking to God from your heart. Now, the scary part is being transparent. But isn't that a wonderful part when you add that to your marriage? You start discovering an intimacy in your wife's heart or in your husband's heart that wasn't there before because you're, you're being transparent before God and you're talking to God together. I really believe that learning how to seek the Lord together helps, helps you become uh, one flesh. I feel like it's so important and I just want to encourage you if it's intimidating just do it <laughs> okay just like the Nike slogan you know just like getting started exercising just do it I don't know how you're gonna do it in your schedule I love uh, Mike and Mindy and their relationship with the Lord you know he says my wife seeks the Lord at this time and, and I seek the Lord at this time they actually take turns one of them one of them prepares dinner and the other one seeks the Lord and, and then the other one um, cleans up dinner while the other one seeks the Lord. So they have their own personal time. And then they come together after the kids go to bed. And they have a time to just share what God is doing in their lives and what they saw in the Word. And they pray together. Now I realize that sounds like you'd need a college education to do it. But to be honest, it's just a choice. That's all it really is. It's really just discipline. It's just really wanting Jesus more than anything else. And, you know, I know we want Christians. We, we want to be Christians. We want our nation to be blessed. We want all these things in our life. But there is some sacrifice and some change that's going to be required if you're going to become the person that God has called you and created you to be. And, and if I'm going to become the person God has called me and created me, and if we're going to have an impact in this generation as the body of Christ, there's going to be some changes. How many think we're not doing real well right now? Hello. <clears throat> How many think we're not doing really well right now? I'm going to get fired up now if you don't. <laughs> I, you know, I, I just, I just, is this enough? Is this enough? Do you have enough in your 4OK and you don't really go to care? I mean, just let it go to hell and hand? I don't know. I, I just wonder... What's your dream? What's your vision? What are you desiring more than anything for God to do in your life, in your marriage, through your life, in this generation? I'm just, I just think it's so important. Now, here's why I'm saying some of the things I'm saying, because we live in a culture that tells us this. When it comes to finding husband or it comes to finding a wife, uh, we should all be looking for that one person. You know, our soulmate, that perfect match. In fact, when you find the right one and you get married, you're going to live happily ever after. It should be awesome. Is that realistic? I don't know if marriage is about finding the right one or becoming the right one. But after 41 years, I don't know if my wife found the right one. You know, but I'm working on it. I'm, I'm working on 
becoming the right one. I think my wife would love to be married to Jesus. <laughs> There's an honest uh, wife. Uh, amen. Amen. And, and I just, if, if I could just become a little more like him, don't you think that would be a blessing to her? Uh, I don't know. I, I know that all of us, and for those of you who are younger, I know you are looking for that one. In high school, it starts. You're looking for the one. Uh, in college, you're looking for the one. Young adulthood, you're looking for the one. Here's some things to look for, okay? Look for honesty. If he lies to you, cut him off. Because trust is the only thing you have in a marriage relationship. Okay? So honesty, absolutely honest. Honest before God. Does he have a devotion life? Does he, does he pray? Does he have integrity? Does he have humility? Does he have a servant's heart? Does he love Jesus without you? He doesn't just start coming to church because you go to church. The first sign to change channels, man, go another direction. You know, I've just seen it happen too many times. Here's what I believe. I believe God is the one. He's my soulmate. God is the one. He's my soulmate. He's the one. And when he's the one, when he's your treasure and, and, and he's his treasure, then the two of you can go after the one. You know, when he's the one of you and you, then the two of you who come from different places can pursue the one together. And as you do, you have to become closer. It's just part of the process. So, so I want to encourage you to become one flesh. First of all, I, I really think you have to learn how to seek the Lord. And, you know, each one of you as husband and wife or as couple have to, have to learn how to do that on your own. But I, I just know there's lots of helps out there. And I'd encourage you uh, to discover whatever it takes for you to pursue the Lord together in your relationship. Number two, uh, learn to fight fair. I, I think we all know conflict is a part of marriage. If you have conflict, hallelujah, you're a normal person, okay? I thought I'd get an amen on that. I just thought, you know, amen. Yeah, you're kind of quiet on that one. I'm not quite sure. All couples fight. Hello. Don't we? Don't we? I mean, we walk into church, we're so holy. But all couples fight. Now, thankfully, after 41 years, my wife and I don't fight as much. But nevertheless, yesterday, you know, we're getting ready to move. We're downsizing. And um, so we're getting rid of stuff. And my wife, she's so amazing. And she's so organized. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm not. And um, so she had someone coming over to help. And uh, she said to me, honey, you know, before we're knowing here, we're going to be camping. And I freaked out. I said, I'm not ready for that. I mean, you can't take all my stuff yet. I, I, I got to sort through it. And they were going to pack boxes. And I freaked out a little bit. And my voice raised a little bit. And I, I got a little tense. And, uh, I, you know, I, I got to love my wife. She just looked at me and thought, okay. And then she just walked away. And uh, she, she realized that she needed to give me a moment to pull myself together. It's interesting. Uh, you know, the wonderful thing about fighting 
is that it causes you to learn and go deeper. If you're in a major confrontation uh, in, in your relationship, one of the wonderful things about that is this could be the beginning of a whole new future for you. It's not the end. It potentially is a whole new beginning. It can bring a whole new depth to your communication and your relationship with one another. So I really believe one of the things we need to learn to do is we need to learn how to fight fair. Now, there's a major difference between a conflict that causes major damage and a minor disagreement. And here's the difference, okay? Healthy couples fight for resolution, not for victory. Now, if you're a note taker, you might want to write that down. Healthy couples fight for resolution, not for victory. And if you're someone that's holding on to victory, then you don't understand who Jesus is. J Jesus, if he had held on to victory, what would have happened? We'd be all going to hell in a handbasket. Jesus gave up his rights for the sake of resolution. That's why he came to reconcile us to God. And healthy relationship is not about victory. It's about resolution. And if you're the one who's fighting to win, then there's some emotional problems deep inside you that really need to get resolved. So that's super important. Uh, healthy couples listen to one another. They value one another's opinion. And I want to suggest a healthy couple Two healthy people, a husband and a wife, don't care who's right or who's wrong because what they want is God's guidance and direction in their life. They're seeking God together. And so they don't care who's right or wrong. They care about the presence of Jesus at work in each one of them uh, individually and, and uniquely. And as a result, there's this attitude in the relationship to honor one another above yourself. It's, it's miraculous. Paul calls it a mystery. <laughs> but I'm talking about Christ and the church. And of course, everything in our relationship as husband and wife should be reflected in Jesus' love for the church and how he treats us, how kind he is toward us, and how much he loves us. In John 13, you might remember the night before Jesus was crucified. Remember what he did with his disciples? He took off his robe, it says, and uh, he put on a towel. Now, just that much is amazing. Jesus was a rabbi. He was a respected and anointed teacher. But he took off his robe, which represented his authority. Took off his robe, put on a towel began to wash his disciples' feet. And of course, that was not only an illustration of God's love for his disciples, it's an illustration of what he did in heaven. He took off his royal majesty, took on the form of a servant, humbled himself, and went to the cross on our behalf. And there's something about you trying to live that in your relationship as husbands love wives and wives respect husbands. There's something uniquely about the way God has made us. Your wife, brothers, has to feel valued. 
and cherished. Husband, love your wives as Christ loved the church. And it has to be in those little sacrifices during different times throughout the day, throughout the week, and throughout the month. And by the way, men are highly insecure and they need respect. They, they need a cheerleader. And sometimes, ladies, you don't understand your desire to fix him communicates that you don't respect him. And it's just in the tone of your voice. It's the feeling that maybe you're trying to mother him or something. It's, it's simple. You don't know that you're doing it. But ladies, mothers, you do this to your sons. And it's super important to understand the distinction that a man or a young boy needs respect. He needs to be released. And can I tell you, when he feels it, he'll want to live up to it. When we don't feel it, we get into this what's called the crazy cycle, you know. She doesn't feel loved, so she doesn't communicate respect. And then he doesn't feel respect, so he doesn't communicate love. And then she doesn't feel love, so she doesn't communicate respect. And then, where am I at in this circle? He doesn't communicate love because he's not feeling respected. And it's like the spin cycle on a washing machine. I have watched marriages just spin out of control over something really simple that really was just rooted in love and respect. And those are such an important part of how God created us as human beings and wired us. And they're so important in our daily life in learning how to love and respect and communicate with one another. Jesus put on the towel and he, what did he do? Gave up his rights, gave up his authority and literally washed his disciples' feet. And then he said to his disciples, I've given you an example. If I, your master, wash your feet, how much more should you wash one another's feet? Okay, that is Christianity. If, if that's not the goal of your life, you're on the wrong team. You're in the wrong place. Okay. That is Christianity. Learning how to lay down your life and love one another and serve one another. And I really believe where sometimes couples have come to loggerheads, if we can just say I'm sorry and step back and, 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 and say something as simple as, I didn't understand you felt that way. I didn't understand that's the way I was communicating. I'm sorry that I make you feel that way. Jesus, help me learn. <clears throat> I've been there. I, I've been at a place where my wife said, I don't feel loved by you. I'm not leaving, but I want you to know I don't feel loved. And I thought, man, I was the most amazing husband ever in the history of the world. You know, I was pastoring the church and building the house and I'd bought rentals and fixed them and sold them and my wife was so empty because uh, even though I was trying to serve the family and save the world, I didn't have any time for her, quality time, to help her feel loved and speak into her life. And that was about the most painful day of my life to realize that everything I thought I was doing right actually was being communicated wrongly, and it was crushing her. And I had to start over. I had to go to God and say, God, change me. Help me understand what's wrong with me so that I can learn how to communicate love in a way that truly brings life 
and healing and freedom and wholeness in her soul. So I really believe seeking the Lord together helps. I really believe learning to fight fair helps. Number three, learning to live in the ocean of God's forgiveness. Now I'm using a picture there, a metaphor, because I really believe God's forgiveness is like an ocean and my life is like one little drop. So can you imagine right now, this morning, uh, like being in an ocean and your life just being one drop, one drop of water. See, that's how great God's love. That's how great his forgiveness. That's how great his grace is. An ocean that covers the face of the earth and you're just this one little drop surrounded by his love and his grace and his forgiveness. Learning to live in God's forgiveness so that you don't even notice when another person makes a mistake. Uh, I, I wanna read a little bit from Luke chapter seven. I'm hoping you're familiar with this story. It's a story that takes place in uh, a Pharisee's house. Jesus is invited to this Pharisee's house for dinner. And there's a woman there who's a known sinner. Now, thankfully, the Bible is very respectable. It doesn't say what it was. Uh, some theologians suggest maybe prostitute or, or something. It doesn't really matter. She was just someone who most of her life, she was, she was separated from God and living that out in a variety of different ways in her life. Uh, she came in, began weeping at Jesus' feet and wiping his feet with her hair and then kissing his feet and pouring perfume on his feet. Let me begin reading in verse 39 of Luke uh, chapter 7. It says, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, uh, he said to him, if this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, uh, that she is a sinner. Uh, Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Uh, tell me, teacher, uh, he said. Uh, verse 41, two people owed money to a certain money lender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back. Uh, so he forgave the debts of both. Now, which one of them will love him more? Simon replied, I, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. Ah. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. Uh, you did not give me a kiss, but this woman, from the time I entered, has not stopped kissing my feet. You, you did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown. Uh, but whoever has been forgiven little loves little. So let me ask you a question. How much have you been forgiven? Uh, or maybe I should say it this way. How much have you allowed God to forgive you? You know, you can come to church and I can talk about God's love and forgiveness, but sometimes you have a wall up because you don't think you deserve it. And you won't allow his forgiveness to really come in and wash your soul. So let me ask you again, how much have you allowed God to wash you in the ocean, in the ocean of his love, the ocean of his forgiveness? You're just one little drop 
in this amazing ocean of God's love and his forgiveness. You know, when you live every day with someone, day after day, month after month, year after year, it's easy to start keeping score. Okay, you start picking up little offenses. You get offended. Sometimes it's a pretty big offense. But now all of a sudden you begin to notice all the little offenses. And you stop, you start picking them up. And then you start carrying resentments. And resentments begin to grow into walls. But if you've learned every day to come to Jesus and receive the ocean of forgiveness he has for you. There's something about the waves of that love. Deep cries out to deep. We sang it this morning. And he washes you. And he cleanses you. And he empowers you to release the people that are failing you. Everyone in your life will fail you. No one will ever live up to your expectations. And it's so important for us to learn to live in that ocean of forgiveness and to offer that same forgiveness to others. 1 Corinthians 13, uh, verse 4 through 5 says, Love is patient and kind, not jealous or boastful, arrogant or rude. It does not demand its own way. It's not irritable or touchy. It keeps no record of wrongs. Can you imagine? It keeps no record of wrongs. God's love for you, he keeps no record. Can you imagine? I don't know if that's freeing for you. God keeps no record of wrong. And it hardly notices when others make mistakes. I love that part. It hardly notices. Love never fails. It never gives up. never loses faith. Love endures forever. I, I just love the idea that I can live in the ocean of God's forgiveness and hardly notice when another person makes a mistake. Isn't that amazing? Wouldn't that be great if we felt that in our culture right now? If we weren't so caught up in criticism? Wouldn't it be amazing if we hardly noticed when another person made a mistake? What a difference. What a difference that would make in our life. Well, um, I'm going to ask my wife to come and share a couple of things here this morning. Honey, thank you. Good morning. I just had a couple quick comments that I just wanted to share with you. And one of the, the first thing is that there is so much good information out there. We do not lack for information. And the Bible gives us very clear instructions about marriage. But at some point, we have to decide to put into action all that we have heard and all that we have been taught. We have to take ownership for it and do the hard work. We get to put it into practice, all that we have learned because we can be full of knowledge, but until we put it into practice, it's really not gonna do a lot of good. But I'm not saying that's easy. It is very, very hard to do. And you can get all the teaching, you can go to counseling, you can ask questions and get all the wisdom, but until you choose to put into practice, it's really not gonna do 
you or your family any good. Which comes to my second point is that I have come to the point in an understanding where I am responsible for myself, me alone. I'm not responsible for my husband. I don't get to focus on him. I have to focus on me. And ladies, I hate to say it, but your husband doesn't need another mother. He already has one. And it's not our job assignment, okay? As much as we want it to be and like it to be, it's not our job assignment to be his mother. I'm not responsible for him. I'm not responsible for his attitudes, his actions, how he treats me or anyone else. He and he alone is responsible. And he's the one that has to answer to Jesus when Jesus asks him, how did you treat my daughter? How did you treat my daughter? And I'm sure you're aware that um, no amount of nagging or demanding or all the tears that we can come up with, <laughs> all the different ways that we try, none of that is going to change him. Now, we might get a little temporary change, but it's not a heart change. Our weapon is prayer. Prayer and taking responsibility for yourself. Your actions, your words. And Proverbs 18, 12, 21 says, words kill, words give life. They're either poison or fruit. You choose. You get to choose. So your actions, your words, your attitudes. It's your personal relationship with Jesus. It's allowing the Lord to do his work in you, coming to the place of being complete in Jesus Christ and him alone. Because, you know, I know for certain, even if your spouse does what you ask and he grows and he learns, it's never going to be enough because he's a human or she's a human and they will at some point fail you because they're a human. No human relationship will um, fill you completely up. So I have to have all my hopes and all my expectations in Jesus Christ and him alone. My completeness has to be in him. My joy, my happiness, it comes from the Lord, not from my husband or my marriage. Now, my husband and my marriage does complement me, and it adds much, much to my life, but my wholeness and my completeness has to be in Jesus. Now, is this easy? <clears throat> no way. <laughs> it is a constant battle. And I mean, after all, I know what's best and what he should be doing, and of course, it should be done my way, right? That's how we work a lot of times. But it's not my responsibility. My responsibility is to pray and make sure that my relationship with Jesus is where it's supposed to be. And you know what? I get to let him and the Lord work it out. Is it always fun? No. Is it painful? Yeah. But it is his responsibility. He's accountable to Jesus, not to me. And the Lord is going to say sometime, how did you treat your spouse? And they have to answer to that. So remember, you keep focused on you and pray. That's your best weapon. Amen. Thank you, honey. Amen. So, so I always stand together. In a couple of weeks, Cheryl, and I'll get to celebrate 41 years. And uh, it's been quite a, quite a journey. And... Uh, uh, we've learned a lot, and I wish I could, I wish I could describe to you how healthy sometimes I think it is. Cheryl will be right in the middle of something, and uh, maybe 
telling me how I should do something. Not that that would ever happen to you, but um, you know, it might be right in the middle of that and I'll say, stop for a second, okay? I don't need a mom right now. I, 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 I just, I'll, I'll take care of it, just relax. And, and you know, we've learned that depth of communication where we can confront one another when, uh, when I don't feel respected, I'll tell her. When she doesn't feel loved, she'll tell me. And neither one of us feel threatened. This is not about us. This is about Jesus and wanting to become like him and wanting to honor him in our relationship with one another. I'm so thankful the Lord has taken us through this journey together to get to that place where it's so fun and we're so free and uh, we enjoy our life and our relationship together. So, honey, I'm going to ask you to pray for us. I'm going to invite the worship team to, to come on out. And uh, I'd love to sing uh, Rest on Us as we go out the door here this morning. I didn't tell them my bad. But anyway, honey, would you pray for us? I just want to remind you, too, your spouse is not your enemy. There is an enemy out there, and his greatest pleasure is to cause division in relationships, and especially Amen. marriage. So your spouse, when you're looking at him. <clears throat> They're not your enemy, okay? <laughs> they are not your enemy. So, um, <clears throat> hey, we're just real people. We have our, yeah, we're, we're not saints that stand up here. We have lived a lot of pain and sorrow, but we have a Lord that is so faithful. So let's pray. Jesus, thank you. Amen. Thank you, thank you for your goodness in our life. Lord, I pray that we can come before you and stand before you, sinners that we are, but you see us as beloved daughters. You love us. You don't see all the spots and wrinkle and dirtiness in our life. You see us as whole and complete. Lord, I thank you for that. For each man, each woman here, I pray that they will grasp how much you absolutely love and adore them. Lord, I don't know what's gone on in their lives, but Lord, you do, but it doesn't matter because you see them as your beloved child, clean and whole and complete. So Lord, I pray for marriages right now. Lord, we're all at different places. Lord, the, our spouse is not our enemy. And I pray that we can remember that when we, uh, when we begin to lose it, Father. And that we can remember our words can either bring life or can bring death. It's our choice. And so, Lord, as we're getting wound up emotionally, Lord, and boy, we're ready to let it out. Lord, I pray that you will just put a watch on our tongue and stop our yeah. words so that we can speak life to one another. Thank you, Lord, that we stand together united. And we thank you for loving us, forgiving us, and helping us to walk forward in wholeness as individuals complete before you and as couples. We thank you for all these things in Jesus', Jesus name. name. Amen.